Hey, everybody say, what's up, PD? What's up, PD? Say, do you still work here? <laughs> hey, it's great to be in church with you guys this morning. If you're new here for the first time, my name is Pastor Derek. Everybody calls me PD. And, um, and I also want to welcome not only you, but I also want to welcome our online viewers. But especially, can we just give a supercharged welcome to our Framingham campus? We love you guys over there. Come on. We're so glad that you're in church with us today. And we're so glad all you online viewers are with us. We thank you for the growing uh, church that is joining us from afar through technology. We're grateful for that. Well, it's good to be in church. What an incredible worship service so far. Amen. We've had a great, great summer, and we're getting ready to go in the fall, and I'm pretty pumped about that. You know, I was, um, I was just kind of reviewing our core values as a church um, in, a, uh, in our Connect Leadership Academy. It just got on my mind, and I want to occasionally share those with you because values, our core values, influence our culture and our behavior is influenced by our values as a church. And so one of our core values, listen to this, is church. <laughs> it's just church. And so we basically have church, we're just one big family, that's kind of our, our mantra for that. And what I've, what I've found over the years as a Christ follower is that sometimes your church family will outlast and outperform your biological family. Can I have an amen or an oh me out there? Some of you need to do both because it hurts but you love it. And so, so it's so important to be a part of a church family. It literally can change not only your life, but it can even change a generation. I've been raised in the church, and, and my, my daddy was uh, an atheist who, who found Jesus. He was a wife-beating, camel-smoking, bourbon-drinking, two-fisted atheist who got saved. Amen. Come on. And, and when I was born, he was in a bar. And so he was going to his church back then, but now he goes to a different church. He actually started a church and then attended that church that he started. Praise the Lord for that. But I was raised uh, in this kind of conversion process. There was like a B.C., A.C., before Christ in my home and after Christ in my home. And I saw this transformation, and, and it influenced my life. So much that it influenced my life that now it's influenced the life of my children. So, so you, you are a part of a church that has three generations of pastors. My, my daddy's a pastor, I'm a pastor, and my son's a pastor. And my, my, my grandsons have to get saved. <laughs> We're going to make them. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as they can start talking, I'm like, do you know Jesus? You know what I mean? Because if you don't, you're out. No. <laughs> the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6, the message, it says, point your children in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't get lost. They won't get lost. They won't be lost. And so it's so important to make that a priority. In fact, as a survey, how many of you were raised in church? Just raise your hand if you were raised in church. Okay, so it's probably uh, two-thirds, maybe 50% of this population were raised in church. Uh, how many, you kind of like, you had to go. Anybody have to go? Yeah, so that's about most of the people that raised their hand, raised your hand to that. You just had to go. Your parents, you know, they made you go to church. That's how it was for me. I had to go to church. Church was a value that was uncontestable. Like, you got up on Sunday morning, it wasn't like sleep in, it wasn't fellowship with the pillow, it was get your butt out of bed, we're going to church. And, and in our home, in our home, you know, it's funny how sometimes we don't see the, we see the value of something in another area. Like, if, if, if our kids, you know, need to be trained in hygiene, we, we make them brush their teeth. Right? I mean, hopefully you do that. All right? And, and, and you know, it, it, you got to make them do their chores. And, and, and it's interesting that sometimes we don't make them go to church. Just a thought. I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to bust some bubbles here. A lot of people don't like me already. That's okay with that. But, but it's interesting that we say something's important, but sometimes we don't 
make ourselves or make others do it. And, and, and I, I, used to, I used to have to do it. I mean, my, my parents would drag me to church, and, and you had to be quiet. You had to be quiet at church. Shh, shh, shh. The pastor's preaching. You know what I mean? And you get, little, and you get like pinched, and your ear would get pulled, and, and, and I have to go to the bathroom. You're not going to the bathroom until this service is over. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, it didn't matter. I could pee in the pew. It didn't matter. I could be Pepe Le Pew. It didn't matter. I am not getting up and interrupting this service. In fact, my mom always brought like crayons in a purse. You know, crayons were, it was, like a, it was like a curriculum, a resource for kids. You know what I mean? This was just how to be quiet. Just take these crayons and this piece of paper and get down on the floor. We're in revival right now, kid. Now be quiet. You know, it was so confusing. You know, I'm like, revival, you know, and everything was just be quiet, but just be in church. But the interesting thing is, in spite of all the things that I saw, the yanking, the pulling, you know, the spanking and the, you know, and all that kind of stuff and, and all that, and all that, I'm here. I'm still here. A generation later, and my kids are here. And some of you that raised your hand, you're in church, and, and as, as much as you'd like to leave your kids at home, you're still here, and you dragged your kids here. And I just want to give you a kumbaya for that. That's really good. That's amazing. That says something. That says something. And so I just encourage you, sometimes you got to make yourself do something, make, just like you make your kids make their beds. Make them say their prayers before they go to bed. You make, I, I, my parents made me read my Bible. It made me read my Bible. And back then, I was like, oh, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. i to read this good book. i got to read this good book. But you know what? I still have those memory verses in my heart today. You know, it affected not only, not only them, but it affected a generation. And I passed those things on to my kids. I'm already whispering into my, my grandson's ears scriptures from the word of God. You know, when we go on walks, I just kind of whisper him little scriptures and teaching him different things. The second part of my survey is for those of you who weren't raised in church, it should be assigned to us how important it is for the people who weren't raised in church of the generational blessing of going to church. Does that make sense? So if you, who weren't raised in church, make that a priority, I'm just a living testimony. And so many of the people that raised their hand are a living testimony of, of the generational impact that that has on your life. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you. Some of you are like, I already knew that. Yep, but you needed to be reminded. See, some of you have been church people, some, some of us that, that know these different things. It's not that we need to learn something new. We just need to be reminded of what we already knew. Because sometimes we're, we're weak and we leak and we forget and we drift. And I have a song that's in my head. It's called Set Adrift, Memory Bliss of You. And I don't know why that comes in my head right then at that particular moment. But none of you guys know that song, but that's okay. But I would encourage you, it's a sickness, make church a core value. Amen? Can I get an amen, a strong amen? So anyway, before I get into today's message, I want to introduce our next series, okay? Our next series is entitled Change. Okay, so we're going to do a whole series, a multi-week series on the importance of, even though it's, it seems difficult, it's possible. Even though it's difficult, it's essential that we keep changing. John Maxwell had a phrase, if you're through changing, you're through. In other words, we always have, if life is motion, we're either going forwards or we're going backwards. But according to scripture, we should be more and more like Christ, being transformed, it says, going from glory to glory, going from line upon line, precept upon precept, from this height to this height. God wants us to change and grow. How many want to change and grow in the church today? Okay? And so this series is for you. I promise you, this is going to ride the momentum from our encounter service, which is taking place uh, this weekend, this Friday night. I encourage you guys to be there. 
It's going to be amazing, uh, and I'm really, really excited about that. But today, we're going to talk about the safety of a circle. And um, I'm going to basically try to give you a fast overview, especially some of you that are new to the church. I realize that vision is not, vision comes from the top, but it's carried by everyone. In order for it to be carried by everyone, we have to sometimes spit, spray, and spew the vision. In other words, it has to be said a lot. And so I'm trying to find different ways within our church and in our structure to share the vision with you. So I'm just going to come right out and tell you a little bit about why we exist as a church, kind of what we're up to from a 30,000-foot view. And then within that journey, I'm going to emphasize a part of it that has been a part of our church from the beginning, okay? And so here's kind of our vision in a nutshell. Uh, we exist to connect the disconnected. I hope that everybody who calls this church their home understand why we exist as a church. I believe that everybody is disconnected at some level. Some people are very far from God. Some people are listening. Maybe you're in Framingham or maybe you're online and you're listening and you're far from God. And somehow you got drawn to this particular service. God is trying to pull you in. People that are far from God, he wants to connect the disconnected to him. He wants to connect people who are disconnected from people. Some people are right next to people, but they're not doing life with people. Some people are sleeping in the same bed, but they're miles apart. Some people are working together, but they're not actually doing life together. People are insulated and isolated from others, and God wants us to be connected. That's part of our vision. God also wants us to connect to a purpose and a plan that's here on earth. Jesus came to try to fix this connection between God and man, this heaven thing, this assurance thing, this eternity thing, but he also wants us to do something while we're here. We're not here to just take up space, you know, abuse God's grace and suck up air. We're called to do something. Can I have an amen out there? And so our vision is to connect the disconnected. Now, once we get to that place, uh, what happens here in church is we try to facilitate or create environments in these, uh, these, these big circles where people can uh, make a decision or they can experience the presence of God and their hearts can be changed. Now, I believe a person's heart can be changed just like that. It's a moment. It's a, it's a decision. A heart can be, we say, a heart can change in a second. Okay, but most people, listen to this appropriately or, or carefully, most people's life is changed in a process. It's a journey. In other words, you can make a decision with your free will from your heart to say yes to God. You can, you can experience the saving grace of God, but you can still be struggling with things in your life in relationship with God. You can still, you can, you, can in essence, you can in essence get the heaven package, but you're still acting like a hellion. Does everybody understand what I'm, what I'm saying? And so we work out that salvation process. We work out that transformation process in a, in a journey within relationships, and I would submit to you within circles. And so our purpose as a church, this is what we're up to, is taking people on a life-changing spiritual journey. That's what we're trying to do. Now, let me kind of like from 30,000 feet, try to explain how this happens environmentally, okay? So people come to church. We call this public space at Connect. Out there is the community. In here, right now, this is big church. This is the big circle. And life happens and relationship is happening within circles all the time. The goal is to move people 
in order to grow, in order to change, in order to become more like Christ, God is trying to move us to environments of intimacy. Nothing grows, nothing multiplies without intimacy. You see it in plant life, you see it in, 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 in the animal world, and you see it in relationships, and it's the same is true in the kingdom of God. God wants you to get into intimate environments in order to be changed and transformed. So he's moving us to these environments of transformation. So he takes us from big church, and then he moves us into these kind of social spaces. Today... Uh, right after church, we're going to try to create some space for this. You're going to be able to hang out and, and connect with other people. Listen, when you come to church, if you really want to grow and change, don't just come into a seat, listen to a guy talk at you, and then walk away. No, it's not so much about this information as it is about this interaction. People cross-pollinating and connecting and, 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 and high-fiving and, and attaboys. No attaboys to girls, everybody. Just high-fives. <laughs> Just want to make sure I made that clear from the pulpit, okay? And, and, and we're smiling at each other, and we're connecting with each other, and we're interacting with each other. This is where we move from just, uh, just a place of acquaintances to, ex- to places of acceptance. Oh, so I, I recognize that person. I saw that person last week. Now, now we're starting to get names and faces, and, and, and we know a few people, and we're having a cup of coffee, and today we're having a snappy dog. Come on. Jesus is in the house. <laughs> snappy dogs. It's the only hot dog I ever eat, okay? And so this is, this is the, the showtime but that's the flow time. That's what we call it behind, the sta- behind stage, okay? It's the, it's the intermediate spaces. It's the events. For example, Friday night's encounter. It's a smaller circle. Uh, a rising. It's a smaller circle. Uh, the common. It's a smaller circle. Don't underestimate the importance on your spiritual journey of moving from one circle uh, to another. And then the third circle is what I call personal space, okay? This is a place where you're encouraged, you're edified, you're strengthened. There is safety in this circle. And we're going to talk about that circle today. And so I'll come back to that. And the fourth and final circle is what we call private space. We're trying to move people to smaller circles to a place where ultimately you have at least one person, I would recommend and three who know the real you. I have three people in my life who know all of my stuff, okay? You'll never know all of my stuff. I, I, I believe it's an end, and that would be inappropriate, but somebody needs to know the real you, the, you come out from behind the fig leaf, as it were. You're able to deal with the shame, deal with the guilt, deal with the blame, deal with all the victimization that comes with the world and all the world systems and be real with somebody. And it's in that place, in a healthy relationship with other people. It could be a spiritual father or mother. It could be a mentor. It could be a very, very close friend. It's there that we find that we work through things, these things that we can never get over by, our, by ourselves. We work through these things and we are transformed and so we're moving people and as a result that's what kind of the journey looks like in a nutshell is everybody tracking out there but this but the circle I want to emphasize the most today so you can see the benefit of it clearly is this personal one this particular space is a safe place there is safety in this circle that I don't think some of you are seeing or some of you are experiencing. And so I want to give you kind of the big idea for today. Here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Something can happen in circles that can't happen in rows. I stole this idea from Andy Stanley just to give him uh, full credit for that. 
but I modified it a little bit. Something happens in a circle that can't happen in a row. Now listen, I believe in rows. In fact, don't misunderstand, I make a living talking to people in rows, okay? And so please keep coming to the rows, okay, and sitting in rows. I do believe there's tremendous benefit in sitting under the word of God in celebration and, and uh, rejoicing together as a church and gathering as a church. And we'll see that in the Bible in just a little bit. But there's something significant that happens when we come together in kind of small church or small circles. What happens in a small group? What happens in this small circle? Let me tell you. The first thing that happens is it's a place you can find accountability. Accountability. Do you have somebody in your life that help hold your feet to the fire on the things you say you want to do? If your accountability partner is you, you're going to fail time and time again. If your accountability is, if you're married exclusively, your spouse, I don't think that's the best person for you, and you're probably not utilizing him or her as your accountability. That's just an excuse. We need people in our life to help us grow. Here's the second thing. It's a place of belonging. People need Listen, this, listen to what people really need, and we provide to the best of our ability at Connect. People want to be needed and known. The reason you are in this church and or will stay in it or leave it is, do, is, is connected to whether you feel needed and known. Ultimately, some of you won't be here someday because you didn't feel needed to know. Some of that is your responsibility, by the way, and therefore a response to this message. Some of that is because churches are imperfect and we have to grow and get better. Can you handle this reality this morning, everybody? The reason you will be here and continue to be here is because you feel needed and you feel known. Now, we help people feel needed on a team. We help people find their purpose and use their gift for God and make a difference. You feel known in a small group. That's where you feel this sense of belonging. This is, this is your immediate family within the big spiritual family. This is not a place where you can feel known right here. It's too big. And there's three of these. There's four of these. Sorry, Framingham, there's four of you. There's a bunch of these. And so you have to break the church down into smaller parts so we can be growing bigger and smaller at the same time and still stay healthy. Does that make sense to everybody out there? And so belonging. The third thing is care. Who cares? Where, where can you really find the care you need? Who knows your name? Who knows when, who can read your face? Who knows when you're missing? Who knows where you live? Who knows you just had a baby last night? Some of you are like, what? Okay. <laughs> By the way, Pastor Chris had a baby last night. He had a baby boy last night. Yep. He and Monty. Baby Joshua. Nine pounds, nine ounces. Yes, Lord. Pray for that family. Okay. So. The fourth thing that happens in the group is you get tough questions answered, okay? You can't do that in this environment. This is where one person speaks, you listen, but that's where you go and you interact. That's where you go and exchange. That's where you go and kind of talk through things. That's where you find that comfort to be able to do that. It's so powerful when that happens. And the fifth thing is this is where you pray for one another. See, where is it, where is a place in your life where we're actually practicing what the Bible says? The Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there needs to be a place for that. That doesn't just happen uh, in church uh, at the prayer lines. That can happen in the safety of a small group. Now, small groups, um, they show up on the scene in the New Testament. In fact, in the book of Acts, you see them documented in Acts chapter 2. Let me highlight this scripture for you. Acts chapter 2 talks about this, and, it's, and it refers to the apostles kind of promoting small groups, okay? It says, and they, the, the disciples, apostles, devoted themselves 
uh, the people, excuse me, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So they had, they had fellowship and food. Can I have an amen? That is a recipe for relationships right there, okay? Snappy dogs, all right, and fellowship, all right? That is the secret sauce to building a healthy church, okay? All right, so, and, and, and to prayer. Oh, yeah, we got to get prayer in there. So fellowship, snappy dogs, and prayer, okay? And all came upon every soul, and many came upon, uh, and many uh, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. Everybody say together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the pro proceeds to all who had need. See, they're literally like doing life together in every single way. First Thessalonians, it talks about this in chapter 4. They shared their very lives with everybody. And day by day attending church together. So look, in the New Testament church, when it was thriving and thousands were being saved, people weren't going to church once a month. Crickets. <laughs> they were going to church every day, okay? Now, I'm not trying to get you to do that. So if you show up here on Monday, you're in charge of the service, okay? But, but, but this week, every night this week, we have prayer every single night this week, okay? Because we're preparing our hearts and preparing our homes for kind of revival in our encounter service. But they were meeting. Isn't it interesting to see the results that they had, the community they had, the frequency they had supporting that? They were in church on a regular basis, breaking bread, not only in church, but in homes. So we see big church, and we see small safety safety. Uh, filled circles in homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look, the, ch the church blew up, exploded, grew uh, in a tremendous way. Acts 2020, sometimes referred to as the 2020 vision, New Testament model, Paul says, I preached to you, I didn't hold anything back. You know that I taught you in public, it says meetings in one translation, and in homes. It was church and then House church, okay? This is God's model. So when I'm talking about this third circle here, I'm saying this is a biblical model uh, for community. And very clearly we see it having importance in the New Testament church. But honestly, the wisdom that comes from the small circle has been around for centuries. In fact, the wisest person in the Bible, all of you know who that is, Solomon, he wrote several Old Testament books, but he unpacks a principle in the book of Ecclesiastes, that when I read it, you guys are going to say, yeah, yeah, I knew that, I understand that, that's kind of like uh, common sense. But what's interesting is the things that are common sense are not always commonly practiced. And I hope you guys will catch that. There's a lot of common sense out there that people don't commonly practice. People say, I believe in this, but they don't practice what, in fact, they say they believe. And I think people see the wisdom of a circle. They see uh, the, the, the benefits of a group, but they don't want to do it. Why is it that people don't want to do a group before I read this text? I think the reasons are, number one, we're too busy. Our schedules don't match up. Uh, my wife and I, you know, we can't seem to kind of get our schedules worked out to be in that group. Uh, we, we don't know what to do with the kids. Uh, you know, I've got to work an extra shift now. It's interesting to me, I notice this in marriage sometimes. People want to get married, but they don't want to have marriage counseling in preparation for that. And, and because they don't have time, because they got to get ready for this big day. And then after the big day... Whatever period of time after, six months, six years later, now they have a big problem and they, have, they make time to have counseling. Isn't it interesting? We say we can't afford to do something until ultimately everything we have has been spent. 
And now we can't do, now we'll do anything to make those things happen. And what I'm trying to say to you is it's the same way when it comes to your schedule. You who decide to get into small circles will be in a circle with other people who are busy just like you. And I submit to you, someone will be busier than you, but they made it a priority. Can I have an amen out there? And sometimes people don't get into a group because they had a bad past experience. Oh, I did that, so I don't want to do that again. That's why some people don't go to church anymore. They had a bad church experience, so now they don't come to church anymore. So we have to dispel the myth and the misinformation to get them back into church so that we can see that generational blessing. We have to do the same thing sometimes with small groups. People had a bad experience. They went to a group, and it was weird, and it was kind of spooky, and everybody thinks they're all like that. And they go to this one group, and it was weird and spooky, and everybody got in a circle, and you got pulled into the middle of the circle in the hot seat in this weird thing, and everybody's playing duck, duck, goose, Jesus juice. You know what I mean? Duck, duck, goose, you got Jesus juice. I don't know. And they're being super weird, and they're praying for you, and they're saying all this kind of crazy stuff. Listen, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen here. That will not happen week one. That happens week two in our church, okay, (laughs) everybody? So don't worry about that, all right? I'm just kidding. Okay, and the third reason is because people don't see the value. In other words, there's a place value. You're like, okay, I think it makes sense. I hear what you're saying, Pastor D, but something else has a higher place value than the safety of a circle. And I hope to convince you over the next few minutes uh, how to move the place value of a circle, uh, a small group, into your spiritual transformation, into your priorities. Can I have an amen? Okay, so Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Here's Solomon speaking to us, and you're going to see a principle that pops pretty quickly. He says this. He says, two are better than one because you can get a good return for your labor. Well, that's... That's pretty obvious. You know, if you're going to clean your car, have somebody else do it with you, you're going to have a lot more success, okay? All right. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. If somebody falls down, one can help the other up. Um, This kind of starts to move into this point about small groups in a second. It says, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever come to a situation, ever seen someone who fell and there was no one there for them? And I'm not talking about somebody tripping and falling on the street. I'm saying, you know, you saw somebody, they were married, and they came to an impasse in the relationship. The fighting ensued. There was all kinds of problems, and there was no place to go. Maybe family, but you didn't want to go to family. There was no place to go, and so they failed or they fall. Has anybody ever seen something like that before? Okay, has anybody ever known somebody or seen somebody who fell morally and then the damage was not only to that person but to the people who, the victims, and neither side had some place to go. They had nobody to pick them up. There was nobody there for them. Has anybody ever seen or heard or observed a situation like that in your life? My point is this. This is what Solomon's talking about. If you were to take or face a situation like that in your life, is there anyone in your life who feels the permission or the freedom to ask you, are you okay? And if you said, I'm fine, they would know you're not fine. Do you have that in your life? Is there anyone or any group of people in your life that if you were to fall, uh, your business failed, uh, you went bankrupt, Uh, Your marriage was having all kinds of problems. Your kids were um, falling away from God and and being rebellious. And there was all kinds of issues with your children. Your health failed. 
uh, you, 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 because of an addiction that surfaced in your life, something blew up in your life, is there anybody, are there any buddies in your life to help you back up? Solomon says this. He says, pity the individual who falls and has no one there. Okay? And he continues, and I'll skip down a little bit. He says, though one may be overpowered, one translation says overwhelmed. Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So here's what we can glean from that. Eventually, you will be overpowered by something. You will be, at some point, overwhelmed. Can you be more positive, Pastor? I'm positive you will be overwhelmed and overpowered at some point in your life. You are not created to do life alone and handle life's problems all by yourself. Okay? And Solomon, the wisest man in the world, says... You will respond better if you have somebody there to help you. And you're like, I know that. Okay, okay, well, hang on. And then he brings this powerful imagery in. He basically says this in the final verse, verse 12. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, I have, a, I have, I have girls in my house, many girls in my house. And so what that translates to me is a braid is stronger than a ponytail. <laughs> All right? All the girls know what I'm talking about, Okay. A braid is stronger than a ponytail. If you, if you, there's something powerful that if you're just not by yourself, even when you have one other person, if you were to take two cords and, and you can't wrap them, you can only twist them. You took two cords, you can only twist them. And you know what? As life gets crazy and the wind gets blowing, the storm gets all that whole thing will unravel. But if you had three cords wrapped together or three strands or three braids of hair wrapped together, life can go, and it's a lot harder. It's not quickly unraveled. Not quickly overwhelmed. You see that picture in your mind? I was going to show you how good I am at doing that because I braided many girls' hair over the years, but I don't have time. It used to be one of my favorite things to do is braid my girls' hair. At any, at any point, at, at, at some point in your life, everybody needs somebody. Okay? There's a Brian Adams song that I'm really thinking about singing right now. Everybody, anyway, but so consequently, all right, we don't do this group thing as a church program, we do it because we know it's a part of the process of transformation for somebody's life. We know it's the best way to care for people, help them feel a sense of belonging, find accountability, answer their tough questions. Is everybody tracking with me out there? And so here's something even better. Circles not only can help you when you fall down, circles can prevent you from falling down in the first place. And so what I want to emphasize big time is this. There's a picture that some of you guys will resonate with. Certainly guys will resonate with this. This is, this is um, taken from kind of the, the Greeks who used to battle in a formation called the phalanx. Okay, And this phalanx would be made up of somewhere between 8 soldiers and 32 soldiers. That was the, the, uh, the, there was some combination of between 8 and 32 soldiers. Now, when they would come together, this would be an impenetrable uh, force that could take on larger numbers of people. Some of you know the movie 300, and, and you know the famous battle against Xerxes of Persia. Uh, and so that, that, that was a real battle. That actually really, really happened. And, and so, what's so is what's so powerful about this, and what sometimes gets missed, is not how effective they are in battle, but how effective they are at protecting each other. In other words, everybody is covered by their shield and somebody else's shield. But inside the phalanx, there is not just a, um, uh, a, a panoramic view or peripheral view. A peripheral view is very limited. A panoramic view is maybe 180 degrees. They had a panoptic view 
where you could see everything from all angles because they leaned on each other. They were so closely knit in this circle. And their communication could see things coming before you saw it coming. They, they knew what was coming before it happened. They had no blind spots within the phalanx. In fact, the only way the phalanx was, was ever defeated was by the Romans because they got out on terrain that was un, uneven and it would break the phalanx up temporarily and then Romans would get in there with arrows and break them apart. But if they were closely knit together, there was effective communication, there was effective protection that came. As a result, there were no blind spots within the phalanx. And so there's benefits similarly to you being in a tight-knit group. You, you, you're going to that group to get in tight communication. And so here's what happens. Somebody else, here's the benefit. Somebody else can see what you can't see. Let me say it another way. Some, someone else can see it coming. What's it? Exactly. You don't know what it is. But somebody else does, okay? And so this, there's an advantage to that, right? How many of you uh, who've had kids over, the year, over 10 years old, kids over 10 years old, Okay, so those of you who have kids, you raise kids over 10 years old, and you see parents who have kids under 10, you watch how they're disciplining or not disciplining their kids, and how many know what I'm talking about? You can see it coming. You're like, oh man, if they don't, if they don't, they won't. You see, how many have, as a married couple, I've been married almost 27 years this, this November, you look at young couples and you can see how the husband's talking to the wife and he's talking in a demeaning way and he's, you know, trying to be all superior and macho. He's going to tell her what to do, blah, blah, blah. And then you see the, sometimes you see the wife the other way and she's, you know, I was going to say a word I shouldn't say, you know, moaning and complaining. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for your protection. <laughs> moaning and complaining rah, 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 rah. And, and you're looking from the outside and you can see it coming everybody turn to your neighbor and say I can see it coming okay all right, you can see it coming. My son, my son, my son. When my son Devin, who first, when he first got married, we were all Thanksgiving dinner, and we were we were just we just enjoyed a huge banquet. And I don't know why this is. This is just our house, but all the girls stay in the kitchen, and all the guys go out into the living room by the TV to watch football and just and just go into that food coma. All right, everybody is just like, you know. And so in that state of that that pre coma state, uh, my niece comes out and says, "Does anybody want pie?" And so we're like, yeah. And so she starts taking orders. What kind of pie do you want? We had like 18 kinds of pie. And you want that a la mode? And we're all, oh, this is so awesome. And my son pipes up and says, I don't need you to get my order. My wife will get mine for me. Natalia, bring me a piece of pie. <laughs> Can you see it coming? And so all the guys that are in the room that are there for the dinner, we're all looking at each other. And we've got like a combined experience of like 150 years of marriage. <laughs> And we're looking at this boy, we're like, oh, son, you are in for it. And so we say, hey, Deb, you might not want to, you know, talk to Natalia like that. He says, hey, listen, if you guys don't know how to lead your homes, that's your problem. I'm not going to be a wuss like you guys. Natalia, bring me some pie, you know. And I can't tell you what happened after that. But a lioness showed up a few minutes later. Every single one of us have been with people, and when you look at their lives, we're, we're not magicians. We're not weathermen. We, we're not, we don't have a crystal ball, but we can see it a-coming, all right? 
In the same way people look, you know, at, at, at you and your situation, areas that you say you want to grow, that you have not been able to grow in, it's because you need to be around people who can see it coming. Listen, singles, all the single ladies, all the single men, what happens in this relationship, this is for singles and married people and, and families and all that kind of stuff. It's in that circle. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. Over time, either by, by permission, intentionally giving people permission to speak into your lives, or just by virtue of the nourishment that you receive from the relationship, people know that they're able to speak into your lives. And they can say what they see. That's what you want to get to. If you can say anything, you can find everything. The solution comes in an environment where you can be real and you can be transparent with other people. Is everybody tracking with me? And so this is so helpful, especially, so if you're a single, I hope this is not offensive to you, but there are things in your life that you're never going to deal with until you're married. But there are things that you're not dealing with, and that's why you're not married. It's going to be quiet in just a second here, all right? And if you, could, if, you, if you could see them, you would have changed them, but you can't. That's why we need the safety and protection that comes from a circle. And, and because you live in an autonomous world and you're single, if things aren't going your way, you can just stop hanging out with that person. If you're living with that roommate, you can just get another roommate. If you don't like your job, you can change your job. If you don't like the state you live in, you can go to Florida. That hit a nerve probably with some people in this church. Okay, and so, so nothing is forcing you to change you. And that's what happens a lot of times in relationships. We need the safety of a circle. Now, if you're a guy, just to break this down and make it a little bit fun, you, you know that perhaps there's some things in your life that you can't see that need to change. Maybe this will kind of jar you a little bit, this particular picture here. <laughs> see, see, guys, you got bad breath. And you don't know it. And so you need a brother, you know, from another mother who will say to you, bro, you got bad breath. Step back. Get a Tic Tac. Okay? It's a problem. And so you can't see it. I'll never see the backside of my head. I'll never really be able to smell my own breath. If people do that, I'm like, it's not coming back. I can't. It's just. It doesn't work, okay? You need somebody else to tell you that. Ladies, listen, I'm not stupid enough to have a picture for the ladies, okay? Just so you guys know. All right? You're like, oh, my God, is he going to do it? It was cold in here. It just got hot. Like, all right, right then, I was like, whoo, he's not going to do that, all right? See, I know better than point out something specific to you. The point is, in group... There is a powerful preparation for a relational future. And so if you're, if you're really a good leader, you need to be willing to go there with people so they can grow here. That's what really group's all about, okay? Here's the second thing, right? Write this down. It accelerates your spiritual growth, all right? Accelerates your spiritual growth. Now, when you get into this circle, the entry point is edification, encouragement, acceptance. You definitely need that. But some of you, some of you, that won't last, in fact, the Bible says the Lord chastens those he loves. What does that mean? It means if you keep giving everybody what they want, tell them what they want to hear, eventually they won't feel like children of God. In fact, the Bible says if you don't receive correction or chastening, you feel like an illegitimate child. So what, this is, this, I'm cueing leaders to pay attention here. You need to be willing to have crucial conversations with people and minister truth in love. See, encouragement makes us feel better, but correction makes us better. 
Where do you go? Where, what environment do you have in your life, sir, man, boy, or girl, where somebody can stick their finger in your eye figuratively? They're helping you see what you can't see. Uh, unpack what you can't unpack. Navigate what you haven't been able to navigate by yourself. Direct you in the ways that you need to be directed. Because by yourself, you are not self-aware. And we tend to, by nature, accentuate our strengths and we avoid our unbecoming traits. We push them down. We hide them behind closed doors. We bury them under the bed and under the laundry of our life. But it's in the vulnerable, transparent, uh, corrective community, uh, it's in that, if that becomes a non-option for you, that's where we experience real transformation. Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, the goal should be in this circle it's not about my preference, it's about my progress. Initially, some of you are going to go to a group because that interests you. You're going to go to a group because it meets a certain need. Listen, that's a great starting point, but please, please, please don't let it be the end point. It's interest, need, but relationship is the most important thing. You want to get into a safe circle where you decide to do life with people, and those people, over time, you give permission to, and they give permission to you to grow and change and progress. Does that make sense? If you don't have that, then you won't see the value of a small group. But if you do, I promise you it'll become priceless to you. The people that tell me straight but I know love me no matter what are my closest friends in life. In life. So here's the, here's the third thing. Write this down if you're still tracking with me. Third thing is you may come in with a broken heart, but you'll never leave broken down in the safety of a circle. I can't emphasize this enough, but this is a place where you can be restored. This is a place where you can be healed in biblically functioning community. It should never be a place that is punitive. It should always be a place that is restorative. So if you're a hot mess and you're like, I can't go into that because my life's a mess. I got to get it all worked out. You're not going to get it worked out. You get it worked out in there. And in that environment, if you're a good leader, you help restore people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, brothers... Sisters, it could say, if anyone is caught in sin, they're in trouble, they're a hot mess. You who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore. Everybody say restore. restore. And when you do it, do it with a spirit of gentleness, not superiority or self-righteousness. Keep a watchful eye on yourself so that you're not tempted as well. This word restore is a first century word, but it really refers to when somebody breaks a bone. See, what happens when somebody breaks a bone is the first thing you do is you take them to the hospital and they're cared for by doctors and nurses. The first thing you should give people is care, not punishment, not, oh, you shouldn't have, that was bad, you violated the scriptures. No, 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 no. The second thing you do is you set the bone and you immobilize it and you cast it and you make sure that it's, it's set right. And then the third thing you do is you remove them from further activities until the bone is fully healed. So sometimes people are running and gunning and they need a place of rest and restoration in the process. Notice that that analogy has nothing to do with punitive. It, everything about it is save, protect, and restore in the process. So if we try to heal ourselves alone, we will hurt and continue to hurt and continue to hurt and we'll hurt other people as well. There was an old ad that I just referenced yesterday and added to my notes. It, 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 it came out in the 90s and it was the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. Some of you guys will remember this. And it showed a rat in a cage, and there were two water bottles. One water bottle was laced with cocaine. And so they showed this rat inside this cage, and it kept going to the drug-laced water, drinking it and drinking it day after day after day. And finally, it died. 
And the ad said nine out of ten people, nine out of ten rats died because this drug is so addictive. And a Canadian professor was watching these ads. His name was Bruce Alexander. And he believed that the experiment was messed up. And he said, why was there only one rat in the cage? And so he did an experiment of his own. He created like a rat park for the rat pack. He created this like little Disney world for rats. And he had all these games and all these things these rats could climb on, all these things could do. But not just one rat. He let the rat have other friends there with him. And inside this rat park, he had the two water bottles. One, just water, and one was laced with cocaine. And one by one, these rats would go up and try both water bottles, and they would do the, the, the cocaine-laced water bottle, and the other rats would push those rats away and direct them to the appropriate water bottle, and not one of those rats died in the experiment because they were in the safety of circles. They were in the safety of relationships, and they weren't doing life by themselves. And so if you're listening online and you're listening and framing it, and if you're listening right here and you're trying to make changes in your life and there are chronic areas of your life that you can't change, there are things that are broken that never seem to get fixed, there are addictions you never seem to get over, there are marriage problems you never seem to get over the hump on, get out of your cage and stop doing life by yourself. Get into the safety of a circle. Can I have an amen? amen. Turn to your neighbor and say that's good preaching right there, okay? Come on. Amen. Uh, Blaine Bartell was a man who fell from sexual addiction, and he had a prominent ministry. And, it's, and he, his quote was, you, you cannot rise alone, though you pray a thousand prayers by yourself. Here's my fourth and final point. You can write this down. Why should you get in a group today? Because you're going to need some support. Get some support now so you won't need life support later. Get some support now so you won't need life support later. See, this is what I want you to think about your, your, your group opportunity here. The opportunity that's being presented to you here at Connect is a small group is much like retirement savings. Retirement savings. You see, if you, if you wait too long, you won't have it when you need it. It's an investment. It's an investment. See, the church, sometimes there are problems that come to the church um, and, there, and, and phone calls come in all the time. I used to answer my phone instead of Fry Residence. I used to answer it Crisis Center because nine times out of ten when I get a phone call, it's a problem on the other side. And the same happens at the church office. But I want you to understand, the church receptionist isn't the church. Small groups are really the church. Teams are really the church. And so the small group receptionist's responsibility should be to respond with concern and with compassion. But people don't need concern and compassion as much as they need real community. And real community takes an investment. It's quiet in this Catholic church. What I'm trying to tell you is you don't really need concern and compassion. You need a safety net where you can just fall upon these people. They're there for you in the hardest times, the most difficult times. I've been to many hospital visits trying to go to pray for somebody because there was nobody there to pray for them. And honestly, I'm going, especially in this church, I don't even know all the dream teamers in this church by name. And I'm going to the church and I've got a connection card in my hand because I'm trying to, because uh, I have to know their name before I go into that, before I go into that, that hospital. Sometimes I'm going to do visits for children that are being born and I have to look it up and other pastors have to look it up because, because they're not in a group. Because they're not in community. Sometimes there are problems that are happening or sometimes people need meals delivered to homes who had babies and, and we've got to pull up the GPS because we don't know where they live. See, the church will never respond as good as a small group can respond. 
You need somebody who knows your name. You need somebody who knows where you live. You need somebody who knows your aspirations, your dreams, your problems, your past. It's there that you can find safety in a circle. You need people who were already there for you so, so when something happens, they're already there for you. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Because that day will come. Those days will be there. And, you, and there's no church that's good enough for you to do it through an office or through some kind of central command. And so whatever I've done so far to convince you, maybe, maybe it's not enough. But I would just end with this. I think maybe, maybe you need to look at your own story. How would your story be different? Think about your life and all the things you had to wrestle with. If your dad had had the safety of a circle growing up, what if he had five guys that he was doing, and fries, because you got to have food and fellowship. What if he had five guys that he was doing life with and they would never let your dad fall. They would never let your dad do some of the things that happened. They would never let your dad struggle with some of the things he was struggling. What if, what if that happened? What would, you, what would you be like today? What would your story be like today? What would happen if your mom had a safety net of people? What if as a couple, your mom and dad had a safe, safe circle where they did life with people month after month and year after year because it was a core value of their life? What would your story be like today if that had happened? And now some of you, some of you are single, some of you are married, some of you have families. Don't, don't, doesn't the next generation deserve that gift as you go forward? I think they do. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? I want to encourage leaders to lead and leaders to love and leaders to grow people and really step it up this semester in caring for the people within this church because there's people that are going to be looking for the safety of a small group. It's not just about attendance. It's about engaging with people, really really loving them and pastoring them well and truth and grace. And I want to encourage people that are within the sound of my voice here and, and online, get in community. See the value of it. It's not just to help you there when you fall, it can keep you from falling. How many things could be avoided? How many things could be prevented if you found the safety of a circle? Father, for every person who's here, I pray that you would point them in the right direction, that supernatural connections would be made throughout this church and throughout this church community. Lord, you'd make that happen in a powerful way. You orchestrate the organic. We've done what we can do. I've done what I can do as the pastor of this church. I pray you orchestrate something supernatural in Jesus' name. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Jason, come on up, buddy.